One of my favorite things that we do here at Northridge is the investment we make in leaders, both inside and outside of Northridge. And one of the ways we're able to accomplish this is through our Business Leaders Forum. Because of the size and influence of Northridge, we've been able to bring in amazing leaders who are making an impact internationally. Our next BLF is coming up on October 12th, and I'm excited to announce that I'll be interviewing Elizabeth Saunders. She is an international coach, consultant, and communicator about time management. She's a common contributor to Forbes and Huffington Post and the Harvard Business Review, and she's authored three books, and I can't wait to share her with you. There's only one reason that I invest in Business Leaders Forum, and that's because we know that as you grow as a leader, you can make an unbelievable difference in this world. And that's what our world needs most. So we make it early in the morning. We keep to the timeline so that you can still get to work. And I believe it's a worthwhile investment, not just for you, but for everyone you invite. I hope to see you there. Well, I have to tell you, this doesn't happen very often, but I believe everything that guy says, everything. It's unbelievable. But uh, uh, welcome to Northridge Church. Glad that you're here. And I, if you have any influence in anyone's lives, whether home or professionally, uh, the Business Leaders Forum will be a positive investment for you. I hope that you'll come. But, but I have another event, a significant event that Northridge is a part of. In fact, it's the number one way every year that we have to give you the opportunity to share hope and to wake people up to Jesus in your world, and it's the glory of Christmas. And if you've, if you've been there, you know, but if you've not been there, we wanted to give you a glimpse. I think it was wonderful. Great show. It was fantastic. It was great. It was wonderful. I honestly enjoyed all of it. It blew my mind. I wasn't expecting anything like that. Every year they figure out new and better ways to make it even more exciting than the year before. It was absolutely magnificent. It was great. That was really, it was really amazing. It was really, really amazing. amazing. If you can get tickets, it's definitely worth the time. It's amazing. Loved it. What was your favorite part? Gosh. Oh man, there's so many different parts. The camel is amazing. Love the camel. Yeah. Amazing, extraordinary, fantastic, astonishing. It was wow. Very nice. Very nice job. It's a great job. <laughs> it's a good time. There was not one part that I did not like. It was the best uh, show I've ever seen, and I've seen Josh Groban at the Fox and other ones. It was amazing. It's coming. I have to tell you, I just need to share this little thought with you. Roxanne and I absolutely love the arts. I mean, and we believe that God created and gave humans the arts so that we could experience the world and the way he designed it. And so we, we just, that's why we do church the way we do church, but we love the arts. So we love going to Broadway when we have a chance to do that. Our daughter lives in New York City, and we love going to the Fox Theater and supporting what, the arts in Detroit, and even have gone up to Toronto, eh? And, uh, you know, to, 
experience that up there because we love the arts. And, but here's what we, we had this vision a long time ago, and I hope you can embrace this with a palpitating heart. We believe that the greatest use of the arts should be to wake the world up to Jesus. It should be for Jesus. And so we decided, we, we decided that the Church of Jesus Christ shouldn't let Broadway win, the Church of Jesus Christ should win. And we should have a Broadway kind of production of even greater quality and impact for Jesus. And God has enabled that vision to come to life because of the volunteers here and the unbelievable talent he's put at Northridge. And I'm just telling you, uh, our glory of Christmas competes with any display of the arts anywhere on the planet, and it's for Jesus. And here's the thing. We get to use that. It's no shame to invite someone to Broadway or to the Fox. It's no shame to invite someone to the glory of Christmas. And if we do, we're giving them a chance to hear about Jesus in a way that can transform their lives. Why wouldn't we do it? Why wouldn't we do it? We would. And the reason we let the church family buy tickets for a week before, before it goes public is very strategic. It's not because you go to church here so we give you a little perk. It's because we know that you will get the right people in the seats for the glory of Christmas. It won't be random. That you'll invite the people that you work with who need the hope of Jesus, the people in your family who need the hope of Jesus, the people at the restaurants you, you go to that need Jesus, that you will get them in these seats. And here's our strategy. Our strategy is not to say, you pay to come hear about Jesus. Our strategy is for us who know the hope of Jesus to buy tickets for them so that they will come and experience that. That's our whole strategy, and it works. It really does, because every year we have new people coming in, not the same people coming back year after year, new people coming in with those who buy tickets for them, and lives are being transformed. You're the key. So starting tonight at midnight, we want to encourage you in your programs, it tells you how, or you can go to this link if you're watching online, and you can purchase these tickets. And, and we have people, literally, whose lives have been changed by GOC, and they started buying two tickets, then they went to 50 tickets, and then they went to 1,000 tickets, and they're, they're buying tickets because they know Jesus died for people, and the world doesn't know it yet, and they want to share it. Now, you might be here going, I can't buy 1,000 tickets. I get it. Not all of us can buy 1,000 tickets. But you can buy a certain number of tickets and leverage that to get people who need hope into the seats, right? You can. You can buy a certain number. You really can. And if you can buy a thousand tickets, you need to buy a thousand tickets. If you can buy 10,000, if you can buy 30,000 tickets, you buy tickets for all of us to give to our friends. That's what we want you to do. But here, really, step into this thing. We need to fill this place up. If there's one empty seat, one non-purchased ticket, when the Christmas thing comes, we're wasting an opportunity to share Jesus with people. So I hope that you'll step into it. I hope that you'll buy tickets for people, be inviting them and getting them here. So this year, thousands of people come to faith. Are you with me on that? Will you join me in that? Awesome. All right. If you're a guest here, I have no passion whatsoever for this ministry. Uh, but we're so thankful that you're here, whether you're a guest or a regular tender. And I'm telling you, the series we're in right now is one that is so meaningful to me and so personal to me, and I'm praying that God will make it personal and impacting to you. Welcome to this weekend of World War Me.
It's almost like the words that you just experienced in that video don't belong in the same video. That the images don't match the ending words. It's like there's not congruence to it. There's dissonance there. World War Me, and we all know, I think you can relate personally to the experience that that video visualizes where it's like we're so frustrated, we're so at war within ourselves, we're so struggling, we don't know which way to turn, and we don't, I mean, we're just, we're just at the end of ourselves. Very dark, very honest, very raw, but then it ends with the word blessed, which is what we're talking about, and it's like those things don't belong together. I mean, we really do have this idea that if we're blessed, then we don't have that head-shaking war within thing going on that no darkness is experienced because we're blessed. And I'll give you an example. Have you ever, have you ever asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? I, I bet you have. And if you're like me, I bet you've asked the opposite question. Why do good things happen to bad people? In fact, I think that's even the better question. I mean, it's like, talk about a war within and all that's going on in our lives. And I have to tell you, I have to be really, really honest. I'm not one of these people that stand on a church platform and pretend I'm better than anybody else. I mean, I'm, I'm real and very human and very flawed. I wrestle with those kind of questions. I wrestle, even when I understand the blessings of God, with the idea of, of the war within over these kind of issues. To be honest, one of my greatest struggles in life involves the difference between how I think life should be for me and others and how it really is. It doesn't match up, doesn't measure up, it's, and it hurts, and it confuses me. Sometimes I think that God's blessing those who don't deserve it, while at the same time, he's failing those who do deserve it, in my opinion. And I think, if we're honest, we all wage war within about this kind of stuff. I mean, how come others get that and we don't? How come this is going on and why is that happening and this just war within? And here's, here's the problem, I think, as I've tried to wrestle through it myself and as I try and help others discover God and His blessings in their life, one of the reasons I think this is a struggle for us is because we have the wrong picture of the blessed life. Now, I really want you to get this. I just believe we have the wrong picture of what it means to experience God's touch in our lives, God's favor in our lives, God's promises in our lives, the, the blessed life. We have the wrong picture. And that's why we don't see the word blessed being in the same picture where, you know, we're at war and the war's raging within because we have the wrong picture of it. We have the wrong idea of what it means. So, so here's what happens. Because we have the wrong picture of what it means if God's blessing us, if we're really experiencing God's touch in our lives, if we're really experiencing God's promises in our lives, then then if we have the wrong picture of what that should look like, then we start looking for and expecting the wrong things. We expect him to, to do different things than what he said and promised the blessed life would be. And here's what happens. When he doesn't live up to the picture of what we think it means for him to bless us, we stop pursuing him. We pull away from him and we don't, we don't believe that he's fulfilling his promise like he should. 
And it really messes us up. This is why among people who claim to believe in God and follow God and all this different, this is why that we can start getting filled with anger with Him and disappointment with Him and despair with Him. This is why so many people who claim to be following Christ hold bitterness and make such bad choices and are defined by, by negativity and a dark view instead of all that we should be experiencing as we walk with God. Am I, am I relating to your experience at all? Sure, talking about mine. And you know what the wrong picture we have of, of God's blessing is? We, we have this wrong picture that if, if God's at work in our life, if God's blessing our lives, then everything in our lives will be perfect. Because if God's blessing, come on, that's going to make life perfect. And when it doesn't happen, what do we do? We get mad at God. But that's not at all what the blessed life is supposed to look like. We think that the blessed life is a life that's in order, that God makes the blessed life comfortable, that God makes the blessed life easy, that the blessed life is always on an upward trajectory. You know, it's like, man, if I'm walking in God's blessing, that means life is always uphill. Life is going upward and marriage is going upward and my kids are going upward, and I'm going to tell you, I've experienced my kids going downward more than I've experienced my kids going upward, haven't you? Does that mean I've not experienced God's blessing during those times? We really do believe that, that if God's touching our lives, if God's present in our lives, that everything's upward and onward, but that's not at all what the Bible says. But because we have that picture, we pull away from God, and we stop experiencing the blessed life when we need it most in the valleys and darkness of real life. You know what the right picture is? The right picture is the picture of life lived in this very real world, this unrefined world, this raw world. You know what the right picture of the blessed life is? It's a, it's a life that includes struggle and yet God's blessing at the same time. You know what the blessed life is? It's a life filled with, and we're going to learn this in the Psalms because it's all through the Psalms, where the blessed life is a life filled with fear and faith at the same time. And too many of us think if there's anything causing fear in my life, I can't experience or I'm not experiencing the touch of God. Wrong! When God is touching our lives, life becomes filled with fear and faith. Look at Psalms 3.6. The psalmist says, I will not fear... Those four words. Oh, and we stop there. If I'm, if I'm blessed, I will not fear. But look what he says. Though tens of thousands assail me on every side. You know what he's saying? When life is nothing but fear. Ten thousands assailing me. I have no chance. Everything's going against me. Everything's dark. Everything's impossible. When everything around me is fear. I can still not be owned by fear. It doesn't say I'll have no fearful things. It doesn't say I'll never, I won't have people attacking me anymore. It says I can still walk without being defined by fear even when I live in fear, fear and faith at the same time. Look, you know what the blessed life includes? It, it, it's a life filled with some answers and a ton more questions. If you think the blessed life is where you have the answers to everything, you, you're living in la-la land. I look at again the psalmist, Psalm 10, 1 and 14. Look at the questions. 
why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Look at it. It's like, why are you so far away? And then yet look at at the same time what he's saying. Verse 14, but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. You are the helper of the Father. At the same time, what's going on? I have the answer. I know that you see. I know that you care. But at the same time, I have all these questions. Why don't I see you? Why aren't you working? Why does it seem like you're invisible? Why does it seem like you're asleep? Do you see it? You know what the, the blessed life is filled with? It, it's filled with love and hate at the same time. The psalmist says it again. This is the Bible, not me. Let's stop believing what people tell us if it's not in the Bible as true. Because we have a wrong picture of what it means to walk with God. Love and hate at the same time. Look at Psalm 5, 5 and 7. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. But I, by your great love, can come into your house. At the same time, hate and love hand in hand. God absolutely hates the darkness and hates the choices and hates the sin. But at the same time, he unconditionally loves and wants to redeem out. And we go through that same thing. When you're experiencing the blessing of God, it is not the absence of hate. It's the absolute control of love over it. You know what the blessed life includes? It's filled with pleasure and pain at the same time. And if you don't understand that, then you won't think that you're experiencing God even when you're experiencing pain, which is where so many of us are. We'll miss God when we need Him most. The blessed life is filled with certainty and uncertainty at the same time. I mean, look at Psalm 6, verses 3 and 9. My my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Talk about uncertainty. And then in the same psalm, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. What? The blessed life is a life where I go, God, it's like, it's like I've been calling out forever and you haven't been answering. And then at the same time I'm saying, but I know you've been answering all along. What? The, the blessed life is filled with this kind of struggle. It's, it's filled with joy and deep disappointment, but we pretend the blessed life is only joy and no disappointment. Wrong? Did Jesus not have a blessed life? We have the wrong picture of the blessed life. We think that, we think that it's all good, but the truth is it's filled with praise and complaint. Look at the psalmist again, chapter 13, starting with verse 1. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Doesn't that sound like a complaint to you? And then look what he says then in verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. I thought you were just complaining about him not loving you. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But I trust in your unfailing love. Are these people insane? Or is the blessed life different than the picture we have of it? That's the answer. He says, my heart rejoices in your salvation. It didn't sound like you were rejoicing. It sounded like you were complaining. I will sing of the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. What? You were just complaining? Oh, you haven't experienced his goodness. The blessed life is filled with these kind of things. Can, can you relate to that in your life? Isn't it about time we start allowing God to relate with the reality of our lives instead of pretending that real life doesn't relate to him? Isn't it about time we start understanding this? If we're really going to experience God in our lives, then we have to start getting honest about what that means. And, but I have to tell you, if you can relate to this, 
it, it doesn't necessarily make you comfortable at the beginning, right? Don't you wish that the blessed life meant this? I do, but it doesn't. So it brings up a question for me. Okay, how, how can all of this seemingly inconsistent stuff be my experience if, if God's blessing me? How, how can that be present if we're experiencing God's touch in our lives? Well, I think the explanation and I think what we learn from Psalms can help us to get there and step forward. And I'm, I'm hoping this entire series helps to engage this, but this weekend I hope we really make some traction on it. The explanation is what is found in what I call, and I learned this from the Psalms, I mean literally through just spending so much time in the Psalms, it just leaped out to me finally. I, I call it this, I haven't heard anyone else call it this because other people are probably smarter, but the explanation is the reality of the two me's. That's where I find it, and I'll explain that. And I don't really know how to spell me's. M-E-E-Z, maybe? No, that's not it. It's me-E apostrophe S, I think, you know. But it's the reality of the two me's. The two me's. It's the only explanation, and it's clear when you get into the book of Psalms. At the same time, whether we recognize it or not, we live in a world of two realities, the visible and the invisible, the temporary and the eternal, the, the seen and the unseen. And so the me of the seen world, of the temporary world, goes, where are you, God? I haven't seen you. You haven't seemed to show up in a long time. But then there's the me who lives in the, in the realm of where God truly is and where God is real. And I realize, but I know you love me. I know your love will never fail. I, I know you do what's right. And it's like this, these competing me's in my life. And I want you to see it in the Bible. I'm not making this up. This isn't psychobabble. This is, this is spiritual truth at the rawest level. Look at Psalm chapter 23, one of the most famous psalms in all the Bible. Starting with verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley. Where do we walk through the darkest valley? In this seen, temporary, visible world, right? When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest hour, this first me, it's where life is visible, where life is felt, where life is seen. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley, then look at what verse 6 says. Surely your goodness and love will follow me. This is the second me. All the days of my life. Wait a minute, I thought you were in the valley of the shadow of death. No, that's the first me. The second me is experiencing the goodness of God in my life. And surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh my gosh, first me, second me. And by the way, do you see it? Second me, surely love and goodness will follow me. He'll be there. He'll be present. I have to either see him or believe what I see. First me, second me, the reality of the two me's. And even when the first me, the me that is in this temporary world, experiences life at its worst. I can still be experiencing the blessings of God as the second me, as the me who's walking with God, as the me who's experiencing God by faith. See, by faith, I can always see the reality of God and His promises, even as the reality of this world is filled with darkness which means I can always experience in the second me hope when I'm 
as the first me experiencing hopelessness. Do you see this? Great example of this is a New Testament example, Paul, and it has relevance to Psalms because Paul was a Jew and then he came to faith in Jesus. And do, do, you, do you know what the music of Paul's life was? The Psalms. And from the Psalms, from the music of his life, he learned the reality of the two me's. And look at how he talks to us about it in 2 Corinthians 4. This is powerful, starting with verse 16. He says, I have to tell you, a lot of bad stuff's going on in in this world, but we don't lose heart, he says. We don't lose heart. We don't give up because look what he says. Though outwardly we are wasting away, though the first me in this temporary visible world is wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The second me, the me that walks with God, it's being renewed and filled up as we're being torn apart in this visible world. Then he says, for our light and momentary troubles, the troubles we're experiencing as the first me, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, the second me, the real me, the me that walks with God. So he says, this is how I live. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I choose not to live for the first me. I choose to live for the second me because that's the real me. Can I ask you a question? Which me have you been living for? It changes all of life. In fact, what I want you to know is that we have to understand that from the Psalms, when the world seems like it's falling apart, just like Paul says, it's, I mean, it's just killing me day after day after day. When the world seems like it's falling apart, when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, when our lives are falling apart and everything that matters to us is falling apart, nothing has really changed. Because though this world that is temporary and this life that is physical and temporary is falling apart, God is eternal and God never changes. So no matter how much this world falls apart, if I'm living for the right me, the second me, nothing really changes because God doesn't change. Talk about stability. Talk about security. Talk about confidence and courage. Talk about blessing. The key to knowing and experiencing God and his blessing, like the psalmist, like Paul, is coming to grips with the reality of the two me's, the me who lives in this temporary world, physically separated from God, and the me in Jesus who walks with God and experiences God as it was meant to be from the very beginning. The one me struggles in the valley of the shadow of death. The other me is blessed and content even in the valley of the shadow of death. And so here's the question I have for you. Are you ready? This is so important. This has so much relevance, at least to me. I hope it does to you. Which me are you most conscious of in any given moment? This is the question I ask myself. Brad, right now, which me am I most conscious of at any given moment? And here's why it's important. Please, this is probably the most important sentence I'm going to say in the talk. Here's why it's important. The me we're focused on is the me that wins. 
If I'm focused on the me that's controlled and owned by the visible and the temporary, it's going to defeat me and break me every time, lead me to bad choices every time. But if I'm focused on the me that sees God as bigger than the battle, that sees God as bigger than the 10,000 who sail me, to see God as bigger than the valley of the shadow of death, that's the me who will win. And in the Psalms, these people are battling with the me's. Which me will mean? How long will you forsake me? I believe that you're right here with me all the time. Which me we focus on? The me we focus on is the me that wins. Because the me we focus on is the me that controls me. The me that I focus on is the me that determines my choices. The me that I focus on is the me that ultimately leads to the outcomes of my life. My life. And the same with you. Can I just give you a real simple example from the guy's life who wrote many of the Psalms? David. The me we focus on is the me who wins. So we know of David. He wishes this was the only story we knew of him. But we know of David as the guy who took down Goliath, right? Have you ever heard of David and Goliath? Even if you don't know the Bible, you've heard of David and Goliath. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book about it, for gosh sake, right? You know, it's like, David and Goliath. Here's this. All of Israel, including the king, is cowering in fear over their enemy. They're seeing the enemy. They can't beat the enemy. Goliath represents the enemy. All of them are afraid. Shepherd boy David comes along and goes, what are you guys afraid of? Yeah, that guy's big. Yeah, that army's better than ours. Yeah, they're better equipped than ours. But don't you see who's standing behind Goliath? God's bigger. So little David was seeing the reality of God. And so he said, I'm taking you down, buster. Five stones and a little slingshot. He only needed one stone. Boom! Goliath's down. Why did David win? Because the me we focus on is the me that wins, and he was focused on the me who walks with God, the me who was a friend with God, the me who was surrendered to God, the me who was on God's time time and team. Do you see it? But then, he's on the rooftop of his palace, and he catches just a glimpse of a naked woman bathing, and all of a sudden, he falls. We saw it last weekend. He could stand up to Goliath, but he couldn't stand up to Bathsheba. What? Because the me we focus on is the me who wins. And when he was on that palace, he was focused on the temporary me and the temporary pleasures he could have in the temporary moment, and that me won. Can I ask you a question? Which me are you focused on? Maybe I need to ask a more direct question. Which me's winning? This is so vital. If we want to win World War Me, our goal is simple. We need to seek God. We need to keep Him at the center of our life. We need to keep our thoughts and our actions centered on Him. And when we do, life becomes life as God intended it for us on the inward side. Life makes sense. When we don't, life falls apart on the outside and the inside, and nothing makes sense, which means winning. Here's the truth I want you to get this weekend. The blessed life, which we have the wrong picture of by nature, but we can get the right picture of, the blessed life is about experiencing the reality and fullness of God no matter what our experience is in this world. 
The blessed life isn't about experiencing life with no pain and no suffering. The, best, the blessed life is about experiencing the reality and fullness of God no matter what our experiences in this world. The Psalms teach us that God's blessings can be experienced even in the worst of times, times of betrayal, times of darkness, times of pain, times of loss, times of struggle, times of conflict. God's blessings at the core involve the internal experiences of his reality, not the external, the eternal, not the temporary. We can experience God's greatest blessings in the midst of experiencing the world's greatest curses. When are we going to get the picture right? So this truth leads me to two questions because, I mean, this is how I get it, truth for me. I don't know about you, but I, I just ask questions. Okay, if this is true, then, and I ask questions, and here, here are the two questions that come to me on this one. The first one is, all right, who has the blessed life then? Who has the blessed life? And I think it's a question you, you deserve the answer to. Who has it? If it's not those who are on top of the mountain, if it's not that, who has the blessed life? Well, you need to know it's not the one who's perfect and it's not the one who pretends better than everyone else. It's not the hider, the denier, the dishonest person. It's not the one with no difficulties in their life, with no trouble, no struggle, no struggle. That's not the one who's blessed. Very often, the people who have the best life now are not blessed at all. You know who has the blessed life? David tells us in Psalm 32, and you need to know, last week to start World War Me, we looked at Psalm 51. Psalm 32 is the sequel psalm. It's the, it's the outcome of him acknowledging his brokenness and being forgiven, and he tells us who has the blessed life. And you know what it starts with? Those who have the blessed life are those who are, and this is weird, forgiven. Not rich, not happy in this world, not most powerful, not most successful, not most religious, forgiven. Let's say you're experiencing the worst life has to offer, but you are genuinely forgiven. Friend, you're the one that's blessed. I mean, look at how he says it in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. I am telling you, blessing has nothing to do with the absence of darkness and struggle. It has everything to do with the absence of the guilt that we deserve to have because we've been forgiven. That's what it means to be blessed, are you? Have you been forgiven? Then you've got everything you need. Because if you've been forgiven, that means you get to walk with God and know God and be a child of God, which means... The second me becomes your greater reality, citizens of the kingdom of God, inheritors of the promise of Jesus, blessed. Are you forgiven? Do you, do you know who, who has the blessed life? Not just those who are forgiven, but this is really important. According to David in Psalm 32, those who have the blessed life are those who are faithful to God. It doesn't mean they're, they've always been faithful to God. It means that they were the most broken but because they've been forgiven, now they want to be faithful to the one they used to reject. Look at how he says it in Psalm 32, verse 6. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of mighty waters will not reach them. You know what I'm saying? 
even as they experience the floodwaters, they know that you're still there and they, you can be found. And instead of rejecting you and turning from you, they turn towards you. They pray to you when you can be found. They're faithful. Even when the first me is experiencing hell on earth, they know that the second me can be experiencing the heaven of God's presence. Who, who are the blessed? Those who are forgiven. Those who turn to God faithfully. You know who the blessed are? Those who are following God. That's who the blessed are. Not the people who have the best of this invisible, this visible temporary world, but the people who are following God. Look at how David says it, Psalm 32, 8, 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. He said, man, I'm going to show you the way you should go. But then look what he says because he knows human beings. Don't be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but have to be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. The horse is a creature that runs wherever it wants to run with no control. The mule is that which digs in and won't go anywhere. And both of them, to get where they're supposed to go, have to be controlled with bit and bridle. And you know what God says? You want to experience the blessed life? Then it's time that you just start following me. Because when you follow God, even if it's in the valley of the shadow of death, that's when you experience blessing. You know who the blessed are? They're those who are trusting God. David, when he stood before Goliath, was trusting God. No one else in Israel was. The me I'm focused on is the me who won, wins, and he won. But then when he was looking at Bathsheba, who was he trusting in? his wants. Who are you trusting in? You can have everything this world offers and have nothing but curse until you start trusting God. Psalm 32 verses 10 and 11, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in Him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are of upright heart. So are you the blessed? I didn't say, is your life going great? I didn't say, is everything wonderful? I didn't say, is, you know, are roses all turning up without thorns in your life? I asked, are you blessed, forgiven, turning to God faithfully, knowing He's the answer, not anything else, following Him, trusting Him? You can be blessed wherever you're at in life. And then the question comes to me, the second question is like, okay, how... How can I be blessed? Maybe this is the best way to ask the question. How do we experience God's blessing? How do we experience the best blessed life? Well, David tells us in Psalm 32. And isn't this the real question? Because you, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be listening on, on live stream or on demand. You, you wouldn't even care about any of this stuff if you weren't in some way wanting God to bless your life, Right? And showing up this morning, I'm glad you're here and I hope God uses it to mark your moment, but just showing up this morning isn't the key to blessing. I mean, I'm awesome. But uh, that's a joke, by the way. Well, I am. No, that's a joke too. But just showing up and listening, that's not, that's not the way to blessing. But hopefully something I say God can use to get you there. How, how do we experience God's blessing? How do we get there? Well, David tells us. You know how we experience God's blessing? We need to choose an open heart. An open heart. 
Because, see, this is what gets us in trouble. A, a closed heart, which is what we have naturally, traps all the darkness and poison of this world inside us. It's like, God's disappointing me. God's failing me. God's not there. And we just keep it inside. But an open heart confesses it, brings it to the surface, and allows for God to rework it. We stop hiding. We stop denying. We stop running. Look at Psalm 32, verse 2. Blessed is the one in whose spirit is no deceit. You know why the Psalms are so filled with seeming inconsistency? It's because the psalmists have stopped hiding. They've stopped denying. They've stopped lying. They have spirits of no. They, they've decided to say it how they feel. God, in this world that I'm experiencing right now, it's like you've forgotten me. It's like you're not there. It's like your promises aren't true. It's like the bad are experiencing the best and the best are experiencing the worst. It's just awful. You know what they're doing? They're expressing the honesty of what they're experiencing in this world. And then they say, but I believe you're unfailing in your love, but I believe you're present. I believe you're fulfilling your promises. And they then move to the second me. If you want to experience God's blessing, you have to open your heart. Confession is the key. Have you ever come to the place where you said, God, I messed up and I hate what I see in this world and experience, but I'm just going to confess it to you and ask you to forgive me? Do you know who experiences God's blessing? Those who have a trusting heart. Because the truth is, anything we experience from God only comes as we depend on Him, as we trust in Him. Look at Psalm 32.10. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in, in Him. Are you looking for His love to surround you no matter what you're experiencing? Then you need to trust Him. You know who has His blessed life? Those with a faithful heart. We have to keep believing. It's not enough to have believed once. And I think we have a lot of people here who believed once. You're struggling to believe now. We have a lot of people who trusted once, but you're struggling to trust now, right? We have a lot of people who thought they'd experience God's blessings, but, you know, now we're just in darkness. And we have to keep believing and keep trusting and keep turning to Him because He can always be found. Keep obeying Him no matter what. Look at Psalm 32, 6 again. Let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. This is a moment right now. He can be found. He's right here. You can go from a first me focus to a second me focus right now and experience, even in whatever valley you're in, the blessed life. But you have to choose it. Why don't you do that? Just before I pray and wrap up this talk and before we go into worship, I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer right now. Would you do that? Just bow with me in a moment of prayer. If you're already a believer, I bet you... If you're like me, there are applications of this talk in your life, and I hope you'll talk to God about it. If you're here and you've not yet experienced Jesus, you're listening to this talk, won't you open your heart to Jesus now, pray to Him? He can be found. Take my words in this prayer and make them yours. Just say, Jesus, I, I absolutely need you in my life. It's true that I, I'm lost in this world. I'm I'm broken in this world. I'm messed up. It's like you're not here, but 
I'm confessing that to you and confessing my sin and confessing my guilt and putting my trust in your death on the cross, Jesus, and your resurrection to give me new life and forgiveness. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just before we move into worship, if you prayed with me, would you, would you please let me know? We want to help you take next steps. We want to help you know God and His experiences in your life more and more and more. And we also want to give you a Bible if you prayed with me. And so in your program, if you're in one of our services, there's a connection card. You just take it out, fill it out. There's a box where it says you prayed with me. Check that off. And then as you're leaving, there's a container, a box at every exit door at all of our campuses. They're at Brighton, they're at Grosseal, they're at Celine, here in Plymouth. Just throw it in there and we'll send you a Bible and some information about next steps. Would you do that? And here's how I want to end as we go into worship. As long as we're in this world, I hope you'll get this. As long as we're in this world, God's blessing will only be experienced in the context of World War Me. The war doesn't stop when we're experiencing God's blessings. It's just we're experiencing God's blessings in the midst of the war. To experience God's blessings, we have to focus on the right me, the me we find in faith, the me we find through forgiveness, the me we find as we faithfully walk with God. I know many of you have, have experienced it. And in order to help and encourage others to experience it, I want to encourage you who experience God's blessings to share it. And so this week, to help you do this, we built walls that are titled blessed. Uh, we've built walls at all of our campuses. We've built walls in the lobby of all of our church settings. Not that kind of wall. And this one we're paying for. Uh, but it's, it's a wall to share your blessings, right? It's the wall to share your blessings. And, and I got to actually write on the wall here in Plymouth. And I hope you'll do it. My dog wanted to write on the wall in Plymouth, but I didn't let him. But we want you, before you leave, to share your blessings on the blessed wall so that others can say, wow, God stills blessing even in this world. And when you know God's blessing, even if you're in the valley of the shadow of death, do you know what you do? You rejoice and you sing and you worship. And I think it's time to do that together. I hope you'll join me. Thank you.